For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hello and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Fatherhood is a high calling. As heads of their households, dads carry the responsibility of protector, provider, and nurturer of their families. It's not an easy job, but our Heavenly Father has provided wisdom from His Word and a loving example in how He parents us. Let's join Pastor Adam now for a message entitled, A Good Father. All right, everybody. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to your seat as we begin the Bible study for this morning. Um, gave you a few extra seconds there. always like to help you guys take advantage of the time that you have chit-chatting with one another. Don't you guys ever run out of words? Goodness sake, man. You guys are just on fire and sharing with each other, you know. There was one time, I remember quite a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, somebody was a new, new visitor and they were, they were sitting um, somewhere over there and, and I went up and met them during the break and they looked at me and they said, what's up with the break? It's kind of strange. And I just kind of... <laughs> I just kind of backed away and like went like this, and I was like, and he's like, oh yeah, I can see why you guys have the break. So. <laughs> Anyways, what, what a wonderful thing to see the way you guys connect with each other and uh, have fellowship with each other, and I wish there was more time to do that, and of course, I encourage you to take time to do that during the week. So this morning, as I said, Pastor Ross is in Modesto. He's filling in for uh, Pastor Rick Countryman there at Big Valley uh, church. Um, he's, he's spoken up here before, so um, he invited him down to be, be a guest speaker for one of their speaker series. And today he's speaking on uh, the prodigal son um, for Father's Day, nice Father's Day message. And so if you want to hear the message about the prodigal son, you'll have to go to Big Valley's website and listen to it later because we're not going to be in the prodigal son this morning. We're going to be in another verse, but before we get started, I want to um, show you a little uh, tribute video for Father's Day that I, that I put together, and um, it's kind of a teaser, but anyways, here it goes. Okay, you ready, buddy? You ready for your training? Give me a thumbs up. All right, do it. Anyways, little short teaser there. I had to cut it short because there, there's a little bit more thrashing later on, and I didn't want any of the mothers or grandmothers to faint during the service. So, um, that's my son Dutro. He's uh, two years old. He'll be three in July, and then and then we have Ames, who is 11 months old. He'll he'll be one in July as well. So two years apart, and it's just so wonderful to be a dad. It's such a fun experience and so fun to see them learn and to grow and to be able to wrestle around with them. And, and uh, I've got, of course, you know, we all have tons of stories uh, of uh, hanging out with our kids and about our kids, but uh, just one that kind of has to do with the video there. We do this thing. Um, a lot of times when I come home from, from uh, work, I will uh, lay down on the living room floor and just kind of like it's my way to rest, but also to engage the kids, you know, because I just become this toy 
in the middle of the floor for them, for them to climb on and wrestle and whatnot. And so um, we'll do that. And Dutra will climb up on the arm of the couch and he'll jump off and I'll catch him, you know, and then I'll wrestle him and tickle him and then I'll hold him and make him try to struggle free. And then he'll get up and jump again. You know, we call it off the top ropes. So... <laughs> He loves doing that. He'll jump like a flying squirrel. Sometimes it'll be feet first. Sometimes it'll be, you know, cannonball. And uh, so we were doing that for a while one day, and I was kind of getting tired. So I said, hey, Dutro, let, let's take a little break. And he's like, okay, Daddy. So he goes over and starts playing with some toys at the coffee table. And, and I'm laying there, and I turn sideways, and here comes Ames. He's crawling out of the kitchen, and he crawls over to me at 50 miles per hour. And, you know, he's putting, sticking his hand in my face and grabbing my lip and pulling it and grabbing my nose, and I'm gobbling his neck and having a fun time with him. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this cannonball hits me right in the stomach off the top ropes. <laughs> I was totally unprepared. I was looking this way and he came from this direction. Totally unprepared, knocked the wind out of me and I can't even explain the pain, but <laughs> my whole body hurt. Like he landed on my stomach, but my whole body was in pain. And I rolled over into the fetal position and was sucking my thumb and <laughs> I was laugh crying because it was so funny what had happened, but it hurt so bad. And Dutro's looking at me like, what, what daddy, you know, what happened? And Ames is kind of looking at me like this. Katie calls from the, uh, calls from the kitchen. What happened? I'm like, I got a wrecking ball in my stomach, in my gut. And uh, yeah, I just love wrestling with Dutro. And Ames is getting to the, to the age where we can uh, rough house with him a little bit too. And um, Dutro has this fear though. Um, uh, anytime we, we do some kind of activity, you know, that, that uh, is kind of rough where I'm throwing him around. He says, uh, he says uh, he's worried about bonking his head. He's like, I'm not going to bonk my head. And I said, no, buddy, I won't let you bonk your head. So one day we were out, um, outside and uh, we we're looking at the sunset and we hear this jet flying over and he loves jets. So I said, hey, Dutra, let's try to find the jet. And so we look around and we find it and it's flying there. He's like, there's the jet and looking at it and he's doing the sign language for airplane, you know, and, and, um, Anyways, uh, I said, Dutro, guess what? We're going we're gonna to get in a jet in a few weeks and go and fly and, and see um, Uncle Isaac and Auntie Lolo, the Rushes, many of you know them, um, live in Colorado. We're going to go and see them in a few weeks in a jet. And he's looking at me as I'm telling the story. I'm squatting down next to him. And he's looking at me. And as I'm saying this, he goes. <laughs> and he stares for a little bit. I'm not going to bonk my head. <laughs> No, no, son, you're not going to bonk your head, buddy. I don't know if he meant like he thought he was going to hit his head on the sky or something. Like there's got to be an end, right, to the, to the atmosphere there and he's going to hit his head on. So anyway, so wonderful to be a dad and kind of in tribute to uh, Father's Day, um, we're going to be looking at just one verse from the scripture out of Proverbs chapter 17 and it's uh, verse 6, Proverbs 17 and verse 6. And I'll go ahead and read it and then we'll talk about it a little bit and look into it here. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. Proverbs 17 and verse 6. Lord, once again, as we just turn to your word for some encouragement, for some exhortation, for some inspiration, God, I pray that you would help us to understand what we hear and to apply it in our lives, Lord, and that you would speak forth the message that you desire to be heard by your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this is the verse that we're going to look at this morning. Um, I feel like there's a few things that, uh, that we can, um, 
that this verse either implies or directly says. And so we're going to kind of go through it and take some things uh, that have to do with what is a good father, who a good father is, and what those characteristics are like. And so before we get started, there's a few things that we need to assume when we read this verse. The first thing we need to assume when we read this verse is that the aged or the old men and the fathers, that they are righteous, that the crown that comes to the old men from their grandchildren and the glory from the children to their fathers is in righteousness. That is rightness with God and right relationship with God. Those who are walking in obedience to him, to his word, and in humility have surrendered themselves to his will. Proverbs 16 and verse 31 says, Gray hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained by a righteous life. So the commentary there is that this is the precedent for this is righteousness. That the grandparents, the old men, um, the grandfathers, the fathers, that they're living a life of righteousness. So the second thing we need to assume is that these principles apply not only to grandfathers and to fathers, but also to grandmothers and to mothers. In fact, in the NIV, that's the New King James Version, but in the NIV it puts it this way, children's children are a crown to the aged and parents are the pride of their children. So it's, it's inclusive. In fact, the words in the Hebrew there for old men and for fathers, uh, they, they specifically mean uh, men, they're masculine, but they can be used in context of inclusiveness for grandmothers and also um, mothers as well. So even though this is Father's Day and the, the verse you know, uh, that we're going to look at uh, has to do with an encouragement and an exhortation towards fathers, uh, don't check out and think that God doesn't have something for you because this applies to all of us, um, to grandfathers and to fathers and grandmothers and mothers alike. And um, in fact, I have this little visualization here that I thought of when I was reading the verse. I tried to picture it in my mind, and this is what I came up with here. And Katie designed this for me, just real quick to put up. And so you see grandfather or grandparents at the top there, and this idea that their crown, their reward, is found in their grandchildren. And from the, from the grandchildren to the father, there's this glory and there is this honor. And then, of course, from the father, the parents, back to the grandfather, the grandparents, the same glory and honor. And just a beautiful picture here. In fact, one commentator said it's a beautiful family picture of linked and mutually blessed generations. So, you know, the Lord is, is giving instructions to us and application to us all through this scripture here. And in fact, it doesn't only apply to grandfathers and fathers and to grandmothers and mothers, but it also applies to every person who is the Lord's ambassador. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20, he says to the Thessalonian church there, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And so, you know, the Apostle Paul, who we, we assume from the scriptures that he, he didn't have children, he's talking to his spiritual children here that he had begotten through the gospel. And so the principle, even of this passage that we're studying, we can go back to the verse, the principle of this is that the Lord has called us to be ambassadors of reconciliation and uh, in our ministry unto others to beget them by the gospel and become their spiritual parents. And you know what? Even, even a small child can lead somebody else to the Lord and be an ambassador of Christ. And so the idea here isn't just that the crown 
or the glory comes from the biological line, but also from the spiritual realities of the gospel and begetting others through the preaching of the gospel and the example of the gospel in our lives. No, there's the idea that the Apostle John talks about in 3 John in verse 4, where he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And so this verse applies to all of us, even though we're going to look at it specifically today for fathers. But don't tune out because the Lord can apply his word to you as well this morning. And so, of course, the ultimate fulfillment of this verse is found in the gospel, that we are begotten by the Father through the Son, Jesus, and they glory in one another. The Father glories in the Son, and the Son glories in the Father. In fact, in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, we have that beautiful prayer of Jesus interceding for us to the Father. And he says, he says Father, uh, I have glorified you. Now glorify me with the glory that I had before the world began. And then later on in the verse, he also uh, indicates that we too share the glory in the Father and in the Son. Because he says, I have given them the glory that you have given me, that they be, may be one as we are one. And so the Father and the Son, they glory in one another. And they also glory in us and we in them. So that beautiful visualization, that picture of this unity and this love that's taking place. So those are the things that we assume about this verse as we go into talking about it a little bit more in detail. And I think that this verse, at least from, from my study and just pondering and praying to the Lord, what's going on uh, with this verse. I think that this verse uh, tells us at least four things about good fathers. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit. So the first part of the verse there, uh, Proverbs 17 and verse 6, says, children's children are a crown to the aged or to old men. So the first thing that I've noticed is that a good father leaves a legacy of godliness in his descendants. His righteousness is seen into future generations. You know, from our, our call to worship this morning, the last, one of the last verses that we read together from Psalm 103 and verse 17, it puts it this way, From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear Him and His righteousness with their children's children. And so this picture of righteousness, rightness before God. Remember, righteousness doesn't mean perfection. It means surrender to God and um, to His Word and in living, desiring to live and trying to live in obedience to him. By the power of his spirit, he enables us to do that. That's what righteousness is. And there's something about a family with generational righteousness. Uh, I, probably all of us in here have experienced it. If we, if we don't have it in our family, we've seen it in other families. And I know there's one family in particular that I'm thinking of just because of, uh, of, um, of thinking of them recently, having experience with them. And that's the Fort Camp family. You know, they they uh, they come to the church in droves, you know. They're 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 here. There's uh, Floyd and Leela Fort Camp, or the grandparents, and then Pastor Carlin Fort Camp. He's our children's ministry pastor, and his mom Heidi serves in children's ministry. His sister Hope comes here, and then also there's uh, RC, you know, Fort Camp. And he's here, and then there's Ty and Casey Cazette, who are part of the Fort Camp family. And there's just this wonderful, beautiful generational righteousness that I saw when I got to. Uh, have lunch with them. Actually, on all of all days, it was Easter Sunday, so I should should have been spending time with my family. But here's my reasoning: uh, Katie and the boys they go they usually go home after second service and take a nap. Um, the boys lay down for a nap, so that that's what was happening that Sunday. And it's really hard for me to go from the adrenaline rush of hanging out with all of you guys to a home where it's dark 
and quiet, and I just kind of have to tiptoe around, and you know, it could drive a person insane going from this to that, and so I usually look for a place uh, to invite myself to go to, so... <laughs> So, um, you know, and it's usually Pastor Carlin because I just want to be his friend and things. And so, you know, I'll, uh, we'll be wrapping up from the service and the fellowship here and I'll be walking out and I see him walking, you know, around towards his car and I'll be like, Carlin, what are you doing this afternoon? And he, he, like this day, he like turns around, he's like, well, it's Easter and uh, we're spending time with family. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> he's like, you're welcome to come if you want. I was like, uh, I don't want to be a burden, but okay. And we got this little joke going sometimes when I go out, I'll, he'll be walking and it's usually I see his back, he's walking away, I'll be like, Carlin, hey Carlin, and he'll like just start walking faster. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> Carlin, will you have lunch with me today? No, I got, oh, I got plans, so anyways, he invited me over and I got to go over to their, to their house and it was just a, a, a beautiful time, you know, and obviously the, the food was delicious and so that was good, but that was always a plus, especially when you're inviting yourself places, you know, <laughs> beggars and choosers at the same time. So, um, but we're sitting there and Floyd's at the head of the table and all the families gathered around, there's smiles and the countenance is warm and it's just friendly and engaging and you see the different generations there and it's just something comfortable and something attractive about that and certainly want that for my family. Of course, afterwards, when Katie and the boys were up, we went to, um, we went to uh, her parents' house and had a wonderful Easter dinner, and that same legacy is happening in her family as well um, in coming into the third generation, so I'm looking forward to that. But uh, what, a wonderful, what a wonderful thing to be able to have the legacy of um, this righteousness being wrought in your children and your grandchildren and to be able to experience that. So a good father leaves a legacy of godliness through the righteousness being sent down to future generations. Another way his legacy of godliness is seen is that he is honored and esteemed in his children and his grandchildren. Proverbs 21 and 21 says, He who pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. There's just something honorable about a grandparent who has worked hard to have a family legacy that breeds righteousness throughout the family. And uh, it's a wonderful experience to, to be able to, to be a part of that, you know. And it's something that I desire for, for our family. You know, in the Old Testament, oftentimes the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're mentioned, you know. And, it, and, and the person will say, you know, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We see it over and over again in the scripture. And, you know, of course we know that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob weren't perfect men. They were flawed through and through. And they had their shortcomings. But the end, the end of their testimony is that they had faith in God. And because of that, they were accounted righteous, righteous by the Lord. And those who came after them looked to them as their patriarchs and, and just have this high regard and honor and esteem and reverence for them. And they say, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What a wonderful thing to have somebody say that about you. You know, the God of Adam and Dutro and Dutro Jr. You know? <laughs> um, it's, just, it, it's just wonderful to be esteemed and to be loved by your family when you have worked and, and wrought a, a, a pattern of righteousness into their lives. So he leaves a legacy of godliness through righteousness and honor. And God is leaving a legacy in us as his children. And he has begotten us by the gospel and we belong to him. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 1 through 2, the Apostle Paul says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, 
and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, he says, He gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, he says, How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when, we, when he appears, we shall be like him. Amen? Amen. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So when you have this legacy of righteousness and of honor in the family, it causes future generations to want to look back up and esteem, highly esteem their parents and their grandparents because of what God has left through the pattern of the generations there. And this is the legacy that God is leaving, us, leaving in us who believe. He has made us his children and he wants to glory in us and wants us to glory in him. And so a good father leaves a legacy of righteousness. Secondly, a good father celebrates his children and grandchildren as gifts from God. We see that right there in the verse, right? Children's children are the crown of old men, this idea of honor and of celebration. He views his children and grandchildren as a reward from the Lord. Psalm 127 and verse 3 says, Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. And so this great reward that the Lord has given, that God has created us in his image and has given us the ability to bring about creation in our image. And ultimately, they are also in his image. And it's a reward from God. And as those generations continue, and as they can, specifically as they continue in righteousness, there is this wonderful celebration and reward in the children and in the grandchildren. Another way he celebrates children as gifts from God is that he's a good steward of the children God has given him. He takes care of them as gifts, not that he brought into this world himself, but that God has given him to do with them what God wills and what pleases God. Children don't primarily and, and uh, um, ultimately belong to us. They belong to God, and we are stewards. God is the sovereign one who has given us the gift of children, and he's called us into the privilege of being stewards of his creation, of those he is born in his image and of those that he, spled, uh, that he spilled his blood for on the cross at Calvary. We are simply stewards. And Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. As stewards, this is what we're called to do. Proverbs 22 and verse 6, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. We are stewards of the children that God has given us. So again, he celebrates his children as gifts from God um, in that he displays his children and grandchildren as a crown of honor there in verse 6. You know, this isn't really hard for grandparents to do, to display their children and uh, grandchildren and to boast about them. It's not even hard for parents to do. You know, somebody says, hey, you should take a picture of that. And I say, I can't. My phone is full because I have two babies. Like I have no space on my phone left because I've, uh, all I've been doing all my life is taking pictures of my boys. And so the same thing is true with grandparents as well. And there's, there's something wonderful when we see grandchildren 
uh, gathered around their grandfather or their grandparents. You know, one uh, commentator said, the proverb pictures them gathered around the aged parent like a crowning diadem. You know, this crown. The, uh, the points on the crown are the children that are sitting around their grandparents, uh, just adoring them and learning from them. You know, a lot of that is lost in our culture today. Um, but it, when you get a glimpse of it and you feel it and you see it, it's something that uh, is to be desired. And so, you know, of course, um, it's so wonderful when I get an opportunity to have, when we have family gatherings, either at Katie's parents' house or at my, my parents' house, and all the grandchildren are there. You know, they're all, all, all the grandchildren are, mo- most of them are like five years and younger. And so they're all gathered around the grandparents, and the grandparents are glorying in them. And it's just like it is, just like a crown. They're all, you know, of course, the crown happens because the grandparents are usually handing out candy. And isn't that the truth, grandparents, that, you know, you get to pay back your children for all the havoc they've, they've you know, reaped in your life, and you get to spoil the grandchildren, and pump them full of candy, and then send them home, and then mom calls in the middle of the night, What'd you give, uh, what did you give my, my child? They're not sleeping, and they're just bouncing off the walls, and I said, well, I just gave them a little bit of pie and cake and, and ice cream, and uh, that's what they had for dinner, because that's my job as a grandparent. Then we wondered why. And then we wonder why they're you know sugar high and spoiled. My uh, my mom has in her in her kitchen. There's a sign above above the kitchen that says uh, the, the the children the grandchildren are so spoiled because no one will spank grandma. <laughs> and it's so true. What a what a what a delight to rejoice in and celebrate your children and your grandchildren and to spoil them. You know. Um, uh, Dutra loves uh, Ross, you know, he calls him Papa Ross, and whenever Ross is up here teaching, you know, Dutra, we're usually in the multi-purpose room in the NPR, and Dutra's watching, and Ross will pray, and Dutra will finally realize what's going on, he'll get into prayer formation, you know, praying like Papa Ross is praying, you know, and uh, and Ross has a lot of fun with him too, and and you know Ross has been known to be a bit of a of a spoiler a little bit. So, anyways, I got some incriminating evidence about that. A little video here that I just want to show you. Um, I didn't know this was happening until after the video was taken. So we'll go ahead and roll that, and you guys can see for yourselves. <laughs> My friend Pastor Carlin gets the video credit on that. I can't believe the children's ministry pastor standing by while this is happening, you know. But just for the record, he didn't actually give him a drink, you know. It was, it was more of exasperation than it was fulfillment. No, Dutra was fine without the coffee, you know. It's like, hey, you can't, uh, you know. He asked me, he said, can Dutra have some of my latte? I'm like, he's two. I'm like, he's just coffee. <laughs> I don't even drink coffee, you know, like, much less Dutra. So. so a good father celebrates his children as a reward uh, he's a good steward of the gifts that God has given him and his children and his grandchildren. And he puts them on display as a crown of honor for the world to see what's going on 
in their lives, especially as it pertains to righteousness. You know, the book of Revelation paints a picture of God's children gathered around the throne. There in Revelation chapter 4, the apostle John gets a glimpse of what is to come for us. And the 24 elders, which represent the church, are gathered around on lesser thrones around the, the throne of God, and they're sitting there, and they're, they're praising God, and they represent us, gathered around our Savior, our God, um, as this crown. And it says, they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And so the Lord himself glories in us and wants us to glory in him. He puts us on display for the world to see that we might be a fragrant offering, that those who come in contact with us would smell the fragrance of Christ, and for them it would be the fragrance of life for those who are being saved. And we know, of course, it is the fragrance of death for those who are perishing, who have rejected the gospel. This wonderful opportunity and invitation that God is giving us to be able to come in relationship with him and experience perfect unity with the one who made us, the one who created us, the one who loves us, the one who redeemed us. You know, who, who, would, who would turn away from that? Well, we would in our pride, in our brokenness, in our fallenness. We want to be the masters of our own destiny. We want to be our own God, you know. I, 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 I put it this way sometimes when I'm evangelizing on the streets, just to show them the love of God, that this judge, because God is a judge, he's a good judge. He's a father, and he's a good father, but he's a judge, and we've broken his law, and we've sinned against him. We've lied, we've stolen, we've, you know, uh, we've um, had idolatry in our lives, we've blasphemed his name, we've broken all ten of the ten commandments, you know, the big ten. We stand before him, and he's our judge, and he has, to, he has to execute justice righteously if he's a good judge. And a lot of people see that and they just think of this picture of, of a harsh judge standing up there who is just waiting to wrap the gavel and condemn them. And of course, that's what we deserve. Uh, it is true that we deserve condemnation, but it isn't true that he's just a harsh judge because what they don't understand and what I'd love to tell them and what I want to tell you guys is that this judge got up from his judge's bench took off his judge's robe and came over to us in the defendant's booth, asked us to step aside, put on the prison clothes, took the gavel, wrapped the gavel and declared himself guilty for us. Wow, you know, what a tangible reality. Can you imagine one of our judges doing that? You know, can you imagine a judge coming down and you're standing before a judge because you got a speeding violation and you're trying to plea for a lesser, you know, fine or whatever and to try to get traffic school and you're standing before the judge and the judge says, hold on, and he gets down and he, he goes over and stands where you are and he says, I'm going to pay your traffic fine, I'm going to go to uh, traffic school and I'm going to, if there's any increase in your insurance, I'm going to pay for it and I'm going to do all the inconvenience of the time and the money. Can you ever imagine a judge, an earthly judge doing that for you? No. It's preposterous. It would never happen. Yet this judge, the judge of the universe, got down and for every crime that we've ever committed against him, declared himself guilty and said, come to me and you can receive forgiveness. I have taken your place. I'm your substitute. This is the good judge. This is the good father. And he is worthy to be praised that we would sit around him and he would glory in us because he has redeemed us through his love, through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. We're so thankful for that. So a good father leaves a legacy. He also celebrates his children in the second part of the verse uh, where we see it says, and the glory of, the chil of children is their father. The next thing we see about a good father is that he has a good reputation amongst his family and, and really beyond. 
Part of his reputation, part of his good reputation is that he has his priorities straight. He prioritizes his relationships correctly. Of course, his first relationship ought to be with God, his Father, our Father, our Creator, our Maker. If we have that relationship out of place, then that's called idolatry. And our idols are often going to leave us frustrated and embittered, if not destroyed. And so he warns us, do not put anything before me. I am the Lord your God, you shall serve me alone. Do not make for yourself any graven images that you should bow down to them. Do not have anything else that you would adore in your heart more than me. And that includes our families, our wife and our children. If we put anything before, before God, then we will never enjoy it as much if we had put God first. You know, I'm talking of the good things, the, the things that, that you know, are, are, aren't necessarily, you know, moral issues, like our hobbies, our interests. If we put them first, if we put our family first, before God, we'll never enjoy them as much as if we put God first and them second. And so we worship God first, we, we prioritize our relationship with Him, and He enables us to be able to be you know, productive in our other relationships. The next relationship was with our wife. Our wife comes second. Our spouse comes second. And I know in our fallen world, things aren't necessarily ideal for, for every family, but you can find a way to apply this as the Spirit leads in our lives, that the children need to see the stability between us and our spouses. Even if that relationship has been broken and there's separation and divorce, there needs to be some unity there for the children to be able to have a, preser a preservation of stability. And the children come second. You know, some, I used to think before I was a believer, yeah, of course you'd put your children first. They're young and, and, and weak and you know, they, they, they're vulnerable and so they need you to put them first. But you know, I didn't understand God's function of priority, that the wife needs to come first because they need to see the stability. I'll never be as good of a father to my children if I'm not a good husband to my wife. And I'll never be a good husband to my wife if I'm not a good disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the same principles that make us good disciples unto the Lord are going to make us good husbands or spouses and good fathers or parents. And so we need to put God first, our wife second, and our children third. Not that we love them any less, but that we have this order and this function so that they can see the stability and replicate it in their own lives when they grow. You know, it's a funny thing, you know, sometimes I'll come home and I'll give you know, I'll, I'll, or I'll come home and I'll give Katie a hug and Dutra will just be looking on. You can just see this look like, I'm so glad my parents love each other, you know, and, um, and show it. And then sometimes I'll come home and I'll give Dutra a hug and a kiss and he'll look at me and say, want to give mommy a hug and kiss? Yeah, okay, I guess I should. <laughs> and I say that because, to be honest with you, it really is a struggle with me. I, I, I really, really want to be a good dad. It's like one of the things that I want most in all this life. And I get emotional just talking about it. I didn't necessarily have the, the, the best relationship with my father growing up. And there was a lot of things that were lacking there. And I felt, you know, like I felt this yearning and this desire for acknowledgement and love and relationship. And I didn't get that. And now I have the opportunity to, to give it to my children, you know. And so that's a lot of times it's consuming my thoughts. And I have fears of not being a good dad, of, of being too harsh or being insensitive or exasperating my children, you know. And I, I, I fall short. Uh, but the Lord's grace uh, is sufficient and his love is good and he helps fill in the void. But a lot of times I feel like I, I might be putting my children before, before um, my, my wife. And so I know that that's wrong because Dutro needs me to be a good husband to his mommy. And it's in his best interest for me to have that as a priority in my life. 
to put my wife, my spouse before my children. So that's my struggle, but um, the Lord is good and he's helping us to, to uh, make sure that we keep our priorities straight. So a good father maintains his reputation by prioritizing his relationships. Also, he lives a life of blamelessness, a life of honesty and humility before his family. He's transparent. He's not trying to put on this uh, perfect show. He's not trying to be perfect. For What good would that be to his family, to his children, if he was perfect? Because they're not perfect, and they need to see somebody stumble through this brokenness in this life, but to do it in a godly manner, in a way that shows honesty and humility. Proverbs uh, 20 and verse 7 says, The righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. The blessing of the children is part and parcel to the righteousness of the parent and the grandparent, the father, the righteous man. You know, he owns his mistakes and he uses them for lessons both for himself and for his family. So he's not perfect, but he's blameless, which means in his imperfection, he owns it and he apologizes and he uses it for the good of his children and of his family. That's what a good father does. He lives a blameless life. So he prioritizes relationships. He leads a, bl- a blameless life. And he also inspires and instills godly character and obedience toward God. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 through 19, the Lord gives us this exhortation. He says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And he goes on to share that keeping his precepts will bring blessing in the family. And so the word teach there, teach them to your children, the word teach there in the Hebrew is lamad. And the word does mean to teach and to train, but it also has this sense of exercising in. In other words, you're not just speaking these things to your children, the word of God, but you're actually living it out as an example to them, which is going to be, you know, which is going to be just, which is going to be even more powerful. Certainly speak the words of God to your children, but you need to live it out in order to show them how that is fulfilled. You know, we were, we were taking a, a little hike or walk out at uh, Mount Taylor and uh, it was with Katie, and she was carrying Ames, and Dutro was walking along, and my mom was there with us, and we're just having a good conversation. And uh, out of nowhere, Dutro chimes in and just says, I'm handsome. <laughs> Said, yeah, yeah, buddy, you, you are handsome, but um, maybe you should let someone else initiate the comments, you know? <laughs> So Katie's like, oh, we should, we should teach him that verse, you know, the, in the Proverbs where it says letting someone else praise you and, and not your own mouth. And I said, oh, okay, yeah. So I looked it up and, and uh, found it. It's Proverbs 27 and, and verse 2. It's uh, let another praise you and not your own mouth, someone else and not your own lips. And so we thought this is a great teaching moment. We could help him memorize the scripture and get the idea here. So the way that I help him memorize scripture is I just repeat it over and over again and he follows along. He picks it up pretty fast and, and he can repeat it back. And it's wonderful. So we started off and I was like, okay, Dutro, say Proverbs, problems. <laughs> yeah, actually, there's lots of problems that the Proverbs address. So Proverbs 27.2, Proverbs 27.2, and go on and on. Let another praise you, let another praise you, and not your own mouth, and not your own mouth, someone else, someone else, and not your own lips. We're just going on and on, just repeating it over and over again. And halfway through, Dutro Pazzi looks up and he says, 
You want to say good job, daddy? <laughs> so smart, right? It gets around, okay, I get it. I'm not supposed to praise myself. I'm supposed to let somebody else praise me. So maybe I'll, instead of praising myself, I'll just ask somebody else to do it. <laughs> and we'll get around it, so. <laughs> you want to say good job, daddy? So a good father inspires and instills godly character. Also, he is intentional and involved in the lives of his children. You know, we kind of have in our culture this plague, this epidemic of absent fathers. Maybe they're absent from the home physically. They're just not there to take care of the needs of the family. Maybe they're absent from the home emotionally and spiritually. And, you know, that's, that's kind of what I experienced. And I, I, don't, I didn't know what it was like not to have a dad around, but a lot of the times that's what I felt. And, um, and sometimes I thought, man, maybe it'd be better just not to have a dad around at all than to have a dad who's here but not here. I don't know. I don't think either of them are good, and they, and, um, they both leave their mark on us. And so, you know, this intentionality and this involvement in the lives of our children is, is so essential because kids, they're not going to know how to, how to, you know, grow into the the, the, the boys and the girls that God desires them to be, you know. And, of course, this applies to all, all children. We have this special connection with our parents. You know, there's, this, there's cer- certainly this connection with our, with our moms, and there's this connection with our dads, and they're similar, but they're also unique. And somehow this idea that's, that's in us about our dad being the one who's supposed to be the champion of the home is there, and when that is broken and we don't feel that, and we don't experience that, it just leaves us confused and vulnerable, and we don't know where to go. Who's going to teach us how to be a man? Who's going to teach us how to, be, uh, you know, how to have a virtuous character as a woman if we're not being cherished by, by our dad or the father figure in our lives? And so it's so important that as fathers, we are intentional and involved in the lives of our children. And, you know, I know it's, it's okay that, that this isn't always the case, but I was just thinking about this and, and how, as a youth pastor, it's refreshing to me when the dad is the one that is engaging me about the concerns of their, of their children. You know, and I understand a lot of dads are busy, they're working, and sometimes that's the role of the mother. I get it. That's, it's not a bad thing that that's the case, but it, what, it's, what, what it does for me is shows me, wow, this kid has a great resource and asset in their father because they care and they're intentional. And not that, you know, again, not that the dads that, that aren't coming to me aren't intentional. It's just that that's when I get to see it is when I'm interacting with them, and it's refreshing when the father is communicating to me about the concerns or the affairs of their of their children, their students, their family. So he is intentional and involved. Also, he lovingly disciplines his children. Proverbs 13 and 24, um, RC quoted earlier, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. I remember hearing a story from Pastor Chuck Smith, you know, when when, um, his son was uh, being disobedient or whatever, and he said, uh, he said to his son, son, what does the scripture say? And and uh, he read and he quoted it from the King James Version. And it said, he said, um, he said, spare the rod and spoil the child. Because <laughs> it sounds like that's the command, right? Spare the rod and spoil the child. <laughs> so put the rod away and spoil me. So he got a good chuckle out of that. But, but uh, it is true, you know, that it, it, it seems counterintuitive because we don't like correction or discipline ourselves. But it's so necessary and it's biblical. The Lord 
talks about it a lot in his word, you know. But we need to set a precedent of love in the home with our families. And so we need to be loving in the times where there isn't discipline that's required. We need to be discipling them in the love and the nurture and the admonition of their family, their fathers, their mothers, and of the Lord, so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. They will not turn from it. And so if we have that precedent established, then discipline will be seen by the, by the, the children as out, of, as out of an act of love, sourced out of the same love that we have for them when we don't have to bring the discipline or the correction. So I've said this before, you know, it's my prerogative to make sure that I'm giving Dutro and Ames more kisses than I'm giving out spanks or flicks, you know, so that they can know that it's coming from a source of love. So when the discipline or the correction comes, they know it's sourced out of love. Before we had children, um, we had this family that's uh, a couple of families that are kind of mentors to us that we just observed and examined the way that they parent and wanted to model our parenting after them. And one family in particular, I remember there was, we were having a conversation and one of the boys was at the coffee table and he was getting into some things that he wasn't supposed to be touching and his dad clearly said hey don't touch that and he told him what the consequence would be if he if he touched it again and he touched it again and the dad brought the consequence and the son started crying um, but instead of running away from him he ran to him with his arms open and embraced him and cried in his arms and that's the picture of what I wanted to happen with my children when I bring discipline is that they wouldn't run from me but they'd run to me because they know that it's sourced out of love it's sourced out of good intentions and good wills goodwill towards them. It's not pleasurable for either of us. It's painful. But as the scripture says, and as we'll read in a moment, it it brings about a harvest of righteousness in those who have been trained by it. And so I want to make sure that I'm giving Dutro and Ames more kisses than I'm giving Spanx, which sometimes means I have to give them a lot of kisses, you know, (laughs) just... Just like like R.C. said, you know, he must have been a well-loved child because, because the rod was not spared, so he was loved. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, talks about the discipline of the Lord in our lives. And I kind of broke it up and, and, and took the parts that talk about the earthly father and put them into a paragraph and then followed it up with um, the parts that talk about our heavenly father, just to compare them a little bit in a kind of a different light. So Hebrews 12, verse 7 through 10, from the, he- from the earthly perspective, for what son is not disciplined by his father? Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as, as they thought best. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And then from heaven's perspective, the same passage, but just the, the verses or the, um, the parts that talk about uh, God's role in our lives as, um, in regard to discipline. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. And there it is, the point. The goal of discipline is to bring correction. Why? Not for punishment, ultimately, but for holiness. And holiness, again, isn't perfection. We think of this word holy. It just means set apart, separated unto God from sin. Really, the objective is holiness. That is, separation from sin and disobedience and reconciliation to God in an obedient relationship with Him. And so a good father leaves a legacy. He celebrates his children. He has a good reputation amongst his family and beyond. 
And finally, a good father receives adoration from his children. We see that in verse 6 here at the end. And the glory of children is their father. There is already an innate and uh, uh, just a, uh, you know, it's right there in the hearts of children, right from the get-go, a yearning and an appreciation from children towards their parents. And we're going to talk specifically about fathers. You know, the dad is the champion. He's the superhero of the home. And we see this happening in our, in our kids when they're young. You know, it's just the, the, the stories that are told, you know, the phrase that we, uh, that we hear from kids, you know, yelling at each other, my dad can beat up your dad. You know, this idea that the dad is the champion. And we all have our dad stories. All, you know, no matter what our situation was like, if our, if, uh, whether our dads were, were good dads or not so good dads, you know, we have dad stories that kind of link us in our connection with them. And we, we think about them and, and we cherish those memories and those stories. Now, I, I, didn't, I, I don't know my biological father. And so I know a lot of situations aren't ideal. And so... You know, I'm talking to a mixed multitude here of people who have come from the blessing of, of unified homes and, and, and generational righteousness and also homes that are broken and have, you know, have, um, have just you know, struggled through this life of trying to hold it all together. I know what that's like. I didn't know my biological father. And uh, even though I've never met him and I don't know him, I still have this invisible, mysterious link to him. I'm curious, who is he? Where is he? You know, what is he like? And what does that have to do with me? No, I, I don't even know him. And these are the thoughts that I have and the experience that I have. Now, my stepdad, um, you know, he's, he's the dad that I know. And he's been with my mom since, since really since I was born. And so, you know, we didn't have that great of a relationship. But he stood in the gap and was the provider and the protector. And, and definitely on this side of, of childhood and adolescence can look back and see how he loved us in the way that he could. And I'm so thankful for him. And, uh, and I love him. And, and I you know, ask you guys to pray for my family that they would all come into a relationship with the Lord, specifically my dad, you know. But I remember one dad story, and maybe this will spark dad stories in your mind, you know. My dad, my, my stepdad, he's this uh, grizzly of a man. He's 6'6", like 300 pounds, just this long hair and a big beard. He's, he's really a, a gentle giant, soft-spoken um, you know, but he's got kind of a renown and fame around town as Big D. He just has this stature and this status as uh, this this big, you know, powerful man. And he's he, he he's um, he's a truck driver. Drove truck all of his life. Owns and operates a, a hay truck. And um, and we lived out in the country in the Sacramento Valley, uh, out outside of Maxwell, and uh, in the midst of rice fields. And so you know. You flood the fields in order to grow the rice, and the rice are growing in, in the fields that are flooded. And during the summer, it can become really humid, and there's this tule fog that hangs out, and it's, it's like blinding. You can't see, you know, 10 feet away sometimes. And so it's really, you know, a struggle to drive home um, at night in the fog. And so my dad, he would leave early in the morning with his truck, and he would pull out of our little gravel road that we lived on, Fairview Road, onto high, old Highway 99 there. And as he's pulling out, you know, the fog is so thick, you just have to take a chance and, and drive out. And as he's pulling out this one day, you know, he sees the headlights right there, they're upon him, and the car slams into the trailer and gets wedged underneath the utility box on, the, on his trailer. And, um, and everybody's okay. They get out and they're looking at the car. And the guy in the car is just livid. You know, he's yelling and 
cursing and saying, I, you know, you need to be more careful. And, you know, I can't believe this happened. And, and my dad and the guy that was working for my dad, he's the one that told me the story, said, you know, they were trying to calm down and say, hey, you know, it's foggy. Maybe you shouldn't have been driving as fast, that kind of thing. And so the car is kind of stuck under the thing and this guy's ranting and raving and going on. And uh, my dad's helper is trying to talk, you know, trying to calm him down and figure out, you know, what to do from there. And so my dad goes over to the car and, you know, I don't know if they put it in neutral or whatever, but he grabs the bumper and the fender and just gives it a couple of jerks and he pulls it out from underneath the, <laughs> underneath the trailer, you know. And then he picks it up and he turns around and he throws it off the road and he grabs the guy by the neck and he lifts him up and he snaps him in half over his knee. That's how the story goes, right? No, but he did. He did pull the car out from underneath and then the guy who was telling me the story said, said you know, he was going on and all of a sudden he's like, Okay, have a good day, you know, like, and they went on from there, you know. Another, another quick story, you know, you just have these one-liners or these sayings from your dad, you know, we, we grew up pretty poor before my dad was able to get into the business, and, and um, you know, we always had beat-up vehicles, and one year, um, my parents bought a brand-new pickup for our ranch, you know, a, a, power, a Ford Power Stroke diesel truck, and so... Um, the the wealthy uh, farmers in the area they all drove Chevys you know and they'd buy one every couple of years or whatever and so my dad was going out to meet them talk about some of the hay or whatever and he drove out there and he gets out and there's this group of guys and they're having some tailgate talk and they're looking they kind of got the cynical look in their eyes and they're like so you got a Ford huh and, and uh, my dad's response was just like on on spot he just looked at him and he said you know what I can wreck them all <laughs> Ford Chevy, Dodge, it doesn't matter. I haven't found a, a vehicle that I can't break, so it really doesn't matter what, what we have. I can wreck them on. Just remember that, you know. I myself, I'm a Toyota guy. I don't know if you guys have seen the Kill Toyota episode on, on, a, on a Top Gear, but they could not kill the Toyota, so I don't know if my dad's ever driven one. Maybe he should try that. Um, older, older Toyotas. So we have this, we have this yearning and this longing in, the, in these stories that we share and that we think of in these memories, no matter what our relationship is like. But if the relationship is broken, then this yearning, it, it can lead to bitterness and animosity. And this is kind of what happened to me in my life, and, and especially coming into a teenager and becoming a young adult, you know. The longing will always be there, and it's insatiable. There's no, there's no getting rid of it. You'll always have this longing for acceptance and love and, and unity and fellowship with your parents, with your father. But at the same time, if that relationship's broken, then along comes the animosity and the bitterness and the brokenness. So at one, at one hand, you, you, you love your dad and you yearn and you long for him. On the other hand, you have this bitterness and hatred towards him because you're not receiving that. And that brokenness just is disabling in our lives. And I'm so thankful for the gospel because God gave me when I, when I was 23 years old and I came to Jesus Christ as my savior and he was working on me in this area because it really just had a stronghold in my life. All my actions and behaviors, all the things that I w w was doing was somehow in, in correlation to the longing and the yearning that I was looking for, for acceptance from my father and from others. And it just turned into sin in my life, trying to fill the void with things that were unhealthy and destructive. And the Lord spoke to me through his word and, and specifically through a parable in Matthew 18, the, the parable of the, of the unmerciful servant. And he showed me that my sin against God is so much greater than anybody else's sin against me. And God was willing to forgive me. Therefore, I must be willing to forgive others. And right there, God melted my heart and gave me, gave me his eyes for my dad and for my family and brought healing into my life. 
and continues to bring that healing into my life. So God is so glorious and his grace is so good. His children are, you know, the father's children are tethered to him with a mysterious and invisible bond. It doesn't go away. And the father is the glory of his children. And one commentator, Riley, noted that except perhaps in adolescence, right? (laughs) But even then, you know, the influence is unique to that relationship and can't be replaced by anything else. The word glory there, it's the Hebrew word tifarah, and it means honor and splendor, renown, just the sense of, of majesty as we behold the, you know, our father, our parents who brought us into this world. Whatever that might, relationship might be like, we can't get out from underneath it. We can never escape it. And there, in, the, in young kids especially, there's this wonder in their hearts and in their minds. And sometimes it can be seen in their eyes. You know, sometimes I'll be getting ready for the day and I'll be at the bathroom sink there, shaving or whatever, and all of a sudden I like, feel like some, something's watching me. <laughs> so I turn around and Dutro's at the door like this, <laughs> looking. Hi, Daddy. Hey, creeper. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll come over to the sink. What you doing, Daddy? Shaving? Yep, I'm shaving. And he'll watch, you know, and then I put in some mouthwash and gurgling the mouthwash and he's just looking at me like this. And then I'll lean over the sink like this, and like I'm going to spit it out, but then I'll just like look at him like this, and he'll go. (laughs) And then I'll spit it out, and he just cracks up laughing, and he doesn't think it's the funniest thing, you know, I'm just doing mouthwash, you know. And then like putting his pajamas on, and I I zip up the pajamas, and and this little flap that buttons over the zipper, you know, and so I'm zipping it up, and as I get to the top, I look at his eyes, and he looks at mine, his eyes get big. I start to fold the flap over and I snap it and I rest my hands there and he's looking and he starts to tense up because he knows what's coming. He just gets this massive tickle <laughs> and I tickle him till, till he falls asleep, basically. <laughs> and then Ames, you know, Ames, he's getting to the place where he's really aware of everything. He's a little thief, man. This guy is so fast. He just like he just puts something somewhere and then it's gone. He's there. He's He's so quick, you know. They took him to children's ministry one time and he took something from another kid and they're like, we tried to stop him, but he's just so fast and strong and strangely charismatic. <laughs> Katie will bring him into the room and, and I'll be like, I'll, I'll be like, uh, you know, I'll say something. All of a sudden I see Ames' head darting back and forth like, dad, dad's in this room, you know, where is he? And you, almost, you just feel like, you know, the king of, of the world when you, when you have your children just... Um, rejoicing in you. And it is true, you know, this verse captures it, that, that the glory of children is their father's. And this is why it's so important to be that glorious father that they yearn for, that they need. Even if we didn't really learn how to be men ourselves, even if we didn't have the example, the, the Lord himself is our example and, and is our pattern and, and can stand in the gap for us and fill in the blanks where we feel like we're lacking. You know, we have we might have this insecurity like, well, you know, I'm just a hypocrite if I'm going to try to be intentional in my, in my kids' lives because I don't even know what that looks like. I don't know how to do it. And it's beyond me. And I think that's a good starting point as long as it's done in a healthy way, not in a, not in a way to be pitied or to give up, but a way to say, God, I need your help. Uh, surrendering to you, this parenting thing is too hard for me. How can I do this? You know, they have their own character and their own personality and their own minds, their own thinking. I'm not in there, but Lord, I pray that you would be and that you would be in here in my life and that you would teach me how to be a good father because I want them to be able to 
to know you and grow in you and be you know, as well prepared as they can to live an adult life, a life of purpose and of meaning and success, not success so much as in a great career and a big house and a fancy car, but in being dedicated and committed to you, Lord, to fulfill the things that you have created them for, that they may walk in the, in the good things that you have for them. This is why it's so important. So a good, a glorious father, he leaves a legacy of righteousness in future generations. He celebrates his children as gifts from God. He has a good reputation amongst his family and beyond. And he receives adoration from his children through this meriting work and investment in their lives. And so fathers, grandfathers, grandmothers, mothers, and ambassadors of the Lord, all of us who believe upon his name, this is the call that we have whether it be our biological children or grandchildren or whether it be those that, need, that, have, that, we have, that we are begetting through the gospel or need to come to faith, that we would be the spiritual parents and the biological parents that the Lord is desiring for us to be and has called us to be. It's a high call, but he who called us is faithful and he will help us in our you know, lack of faithfulness to also be faithful as we humble ourselves and come to him for the enablement and the power of his spirit. Lord, we thank you, God, for that spirit that you've given us. Holy Spirit, that you would dwell inside of us and that you would make us competent and sufficient for the task, that you would teach us, Lord, as we abide in you, as we keep in step with you so we don't fulfill the, de- the, the gratification, the desires of the flesh, but we fulfill the purposes for which you've created us, bearing the fruit of the spirit, which is love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You said against such things, there is no law. Lord, it may not be easy to be a parent. It may not be easy to know how to best steward the families that you've given us. God, but you've made it very simple. You say, come to me, trust in me, rely upon me and my word. And I will give you the instructions and the enablement to be able to do it. It may not always feel like you're doing a good job out of it, at it, but if you trust in me, you will see the reward and the heritage in your family, Lord. So help us to do that, God. Help us to rest in the sim- simplicity of abiding in you, Lord Jesus, that you would work the work through us as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We praise these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand as we close in worship together? You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.